When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. In this episode of TFL Talk, a Land Rover off-road competition, a Porsche Taycan off-road, the news of the week, and Andre's Buhanka. Andre, how you doing, buddy? Hello, and this is not Roman. This is Andre. <laughs> Very formal start to today's <laughs> podcast, Andre. Now, this is TFL Talk. Yes. You're usually on the truck side of stuff, but today you're joining me on the car end of it because Big Cheese, my dad, is where? Well, he's actually on the Ram Off-Road uh, Program, which is an event in near Flagstaff, Arizona. And also, it coincides with the Overland Expo West, which is happening this weekend, or just happened. So, uh, stay tuned for a lot of videos from that show and from Roman's experiences um, at, at that event. He's driving t Ram TRX and the Ram Power Wagon. That's pretty cool, and our guy Case is actually driving off-road to meet the guys at the Overland Expo. Yes. And he's in a ridgeline that's been built up. Yes. He's he in a Subaru Outback Wilderness. Yes. What else? He's got like a, a Land Rover, he's got a built-up van, uh, like an over, uh, Overland four-wheel drive Ford. So uh, you'll have to wait and see what it actually is. But the first video he just uh, actually sent in was with a Subaru Wilderness. This was the Outback. So that's coming up on TFL Off-Road Channel. And uh, Tommy, I'm here on this podcast because I want to ask you what you, you've been doing off-road because you did something physical, a competition with Land Rover, and you took a Taycan Cross Turismo off-road. Yes, so these were both two crazy events that I've been very fortunate to take part of in the last couple of weeks, and we thought we would tell you the story behind them. So let's dive right in with something called the Land Rover Trek. Andre, do you remember something called the Camel Trophy from like the 1980s? Yes, well, I was a young lad back then. <laughs> But but I do remember watching you know highlights and and videos from it. It's just incredibly difficult. Uh, Camel Trophy, uh, basically overland trips where they would go through like mud, cross you know ditches on logs. Is this is this what you're talking about? You're going in the right direction. <laughs> Absolutely. So back you know several decades ago now, Land Rover used to hold these big off-road rallies essentially where they would kit out identical uh, vehicles. Sometimes they were discoveries, sometimes they were the old defenders. And then they would invite teams from around the world, uh, each team representing a country, to compete in a uh, test of physical prowess, mental prowess, off-road ability through the jungles um, in, in the Amazon rainforest 
through, you know, Africa, through some of the most inhospitable terrain in the world. And then, like you said, they televised it and they created little documentaries about it. And they were just some of the most extreme off-road adventuring in the world. That is not what I did. What did you do? Because uh, you were telling me before you left, you, you said you were working out, you went to the gym, uh, you actually built up your muscles. What, what is this about? Oh, yes. Clearly squirrel and gerbil here. <laughs> we're doing pretty strong. So Camel Trophy eventually went away and turned into something called the G4 Challenge, uh-huh. which was kind of like Survivor, but with Land Rovers. So once again, various teams would compete around the world in these orange Land Rovers, and they would go kayaking, and they would go through mud and all this cool stuff. Um, and then that died eventually and was replaced by something called Trek in 2003. And this is kind of a continuation of that. So it died from 2003 for another couple of decades. It came back a couple of years ago. And basically what this is, is it's, a, it's a, like a little tiny mini adventure where um, teams from around the country participate in off-roading, problem-solving, uh, winching, rock climbing, uh, biking, running, and there's all these different challenges. And now it's competed uh, through the dealer network. So dealers around the country basically buy these specially kitted out uh, defenders, and then they all come together for this uh, week-long event where they're out um, really pushing the limits of the vehicle and themselves. Where were you? Where was this being held? Well, so they held a specific media wave. Okay. So this was uh, held over a week, and they were inviting 70 dealers out for this uh, basically day-long competition. But before all the dealers showed up from around the country, they invited a bunch of us journalists and off-roaders and kind of people in the industry to participate and partake in this big old challenge. So this happened at the Biltmore Estate. Oh, in, uh, was it South Carolina, Asheville? I've heard of this. I think that's yes, uh, yes, yes. South Carolina. So they really didn't tell us a lot. And um, I didn't get the invite till a few days before the event. And I was looking through the, the handbook. And it wasn't like your typical, oh, we'll put you in a very fancy hotel. It's like, make sure you know how to mountain bike. And make sure you won't fall over if you have to run a mile. Yeah. And you're going to get bitten. And you're going to get hot and sweaty and muddy. And you might hurt yourself and sign your life away. So that's what this kind of was like. Wow. This is interesting. And there was a training guide, which was entirely unhelpful. Because once again, the invite was like eight days ahead of the event. And squirrel and gerbil just weren't ready. <laughs> but basically, what happened is um, I showed up completely unaware of what was going on to the this estate in uh, South Carolina. It was very fancy and posh. And then they stuck us on a bus and they took us to a tent. <laughs> well, of course, you have to. Yeah, so we went away from all the fancy posh stuff and we uh, basically entered a field of tents. Um, and that night we had uh, some burgers and basically what we learned was that we were gonna be competing against other teams of three in a series of technical challenges and they spelled out exactly what we were planning on doing. So they handed us a vague map that looked like it was hand-drawn by Mickey Mouse. Okay. And on the map were about 20 different stations. And the stations all had kind of obscure names like Rat Trap, like Wide Hmm. Load. Okay. Um, And all we knew was the coordinates, the GPS coordinates, uh, and the point values, because every station had a set of point values, and basically you wanted to gain as many points as possible. In every station, we had exactly one hour to compete, and we couldn't compete if there was another team already there. So basically, the whole night we spent strategizing. Uh, the experts walked us through these kitted out defenders. They showed us how to use the winch, how to use the max tracks, what the suspension did, everything we thought we might need to know on this navigational challenge. This is sounding really exciting, and you did a video with this too, right? 
I did do a video. But it was challenging, I'm assuming. Well, you're competing against um, a lot of other teams, and the folks I was with were really competitive, and they really wanted to win. And it's so, hard so to create IMAX quality videos with a GoPro <laughs> and a stick. Uh, in two seconds. In two so, seconds. So tell me about the Land Rover Defenders. These were new ones. How were they changed or different from a standard one? Well, they were bare bones, so okay. four-door 110s. Uh, with the rear locking differential, the center locking differential, and the steel wheels. Okay, steelies. Kind of like our first one we had, okay. the white one. And they ripped off the factory tires. They stuck on a set of Goodyear Wrangler Duratracks. Okay. Um, they wrapped them in bright orange. And then in the front, they had a winch. Uh, they had a light bar up top, full roof rack. They all came equipped with recovery boards. They all came equipped with air compressors. Um, in the trunk, there were bags of straps. The seats had these special covers on them so they could get really dirty. So they were very cool looking vehicles, bright orange, covered in lights and winches and straps and that kind of thing. So an owner could do very similar things, couldn't they? Absolutely. Uh, you know, to get out their own Defenders? I think it was almost entirely Land Rover accessories except for the roof rack, which I think was Lucky 8 or something. Or maybe okay. it was the ladder was Lucky 8. But okay. there was like one or two aftermarket stuff. All right. So then what happened? So without giving everything away, uh, so there are three of you in the Defender. Right. That's so your team, right? We, yeah, we go to bed after planning all night. And I was with um, a gentleman named Brian Dorr and uh, Jeff Glucker. And we didn't get to choose our teams, but we were the, we, you know, we were just all assigned um, a couple other of our colleagues. And there were a total of about seven or eight teams on this media wave. We were competing against Olympians. Lindsey Vaughn had a team there. What? Oh, yes. Holy. Yep. Okay. And she brought her King Charles Spaniel. Which was a little odd. Whoa. I thought that was a little funky. Anyway, okay. she was like on an Olympic team and they were very competitive. Like they were set to win this thing. Um, so we woke up the next morning. We had this hand-drawn map, a compass, and then the worst little GPS useless piece of uh, tech I've ever seen. <laughs> and they said, go figure it out. So 7.15, uh, you know, they say start. But they say start and there's no vehicles. And that turned out to be the first challenge. We were on 8,000 acres, and we had to go find our vehicles. So they Are had, they numbered or something? or what's No, they were hidden on 8,000 <laughs> acres of Biltmore Estates through you know, hedges so, and woods. And so now you're running, basically. We're running, yeah. And they gave us this uh, GPS coordinate where the vehicles should be, except the GPS coordinate was coded. So we had to uncode the GPS coordinate. Okay. And all the teams started running in every direction, except for the right one. We all so the, started frantically. So is this like Hunger Games? Were, were you given guns or totally. something? Totally. It's, like, <laughs> it's like Hunger Games, but with Land Rovers. Exactly. <laughs> so we're like running down these little dirt roads through uh, grapevines. We're, we're going in between trees, trying to figure out where to find these uh, defenders, which are bright orange. Okay. You'd think they'd be easy to find. All right. But when they hide them in a thicket of trees, they're freaking hard to find. Okay. So eventually, after about... 25 minutes of sprinting around. We're out of breath. Um, it's South Carolina, so it's super humid. And we find the line of vehicles. And our team was actually the first to make it. To the vehicle. Yeah, so we tied with a gentleman named Scott Brady, who uh, is the Overland Journal. Yeah. So their team showed up the second we showed up as well. Um, so we jump in our vehicle, and then we've got to navigate to one of the challenges. And it's very very strategic because you have to figure out and kind of predict where the other teams are going to go and where they're not going to go. So we decide to go south on the map and try to find something called Wide Load. Okay. And we show up to Wide Load um, and it turned out to be a trailering challenge, which you would have loved. Oh, good. So what, what was it like? 
Basically, what was the this first challenge is we had to hook up to a trailer and then navigate through a really tight course of cones in a field and then back up through the same course. Oh, this is my type of thing. You would have loved yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, and two drivers had to do it. And I was the first driver and I hit one cone, which was a one minute penalty. And then the second driver was Brian and he did better than I did. He hit no cones. But it took us a long time 44 minutes. And you're racing against the clock because you have to be back with your tent packed up. Um, by 1.30, or, you know, you're, you're, you're docked huge amounts of points. So uh, what was the trailer? It was like an off-road trailer? Or? Nope, it was like a European-style flatbed. Okay, like a low-deck like low right. uh, trailer. And we okay. had this twisty course through these cones, and you couldn't hit the cones with either the vehicle or the trailer, right? Um, and then you had to basically back up the same way, and that's, of course, what gets you. Yeah, it's hard to up. back up, especially if the trailer is not very long. Right. right. Yeah. So we were able okay. to do that. I think we came in second overall on that challenge. And then we zipped on down the road to the next challenge, which is a brid- bridge building exercise. We had this puzzle of logs, and we had to uh, basically build them into a bridge to drive over a river. Like really heavy log pieces? They were. Like I could lift up the smaller ones. Okay. But the really big ones, obviously, I have no upper body strength. So I needed a little bit of assistance. Okay. <laughs> but once again, it's all against the clock. So I'm flinging this GoPro around trying to get cool shots. We're lifting up logs. We have to build this puzzle. So we build the puzzle in about 13 minutes, drove on over. Um, and we were doing pretty good. So at this point, I think we were pretty confident in our abilities. Uh, but then we made a crucial mistake, and we went to another challenge, which was called Rat Trap, mm-hmm. which was a circle of pool noodles that you drove into and had to exit the opposite direction you drove into. So basically drive in, turn the vehicle around in the circle of noodles, and drive out. But the circle of noodles were about 24 inches wider than the vehicle itself. So you had to strategize on how you turn the vehicle around in its own length. Okay, so it's like a thousand point turn or something? Exactly. Okay. Except we were there for about 40 minutes and we could not figure out for the life of us how to escape this circle of noodles. This sounds like a nightmare from hell. It was. I, I'm trying to picture this, but I can't quite picture this. It was. It was It was like an Austin Powers moment. Do you <laughs> yes, remember that yes. with the little thing? Yes. Except, and we learned this later, the strategy there is not to do what your gut is, which is go full lock left and right and back up and kind of work your way around. Right. It's to do like little baby movements of the steering wheel. Like literally a 500-point turn. Interesting. So we spent 40 minutes of our life wasted in there. We couldn't figure it out. Felt really discouraged. So you're losing points at this point. Um, well, we're just wasting time, right? Okay. Uh, but the cool part is, uh, if if even if you do really badly and you don't solve the 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 challenge, if you are the only person who attempt it, you automatically win. And we learned at the end of the day that we were the only person who attempt that challenge. So we got the full points, even though we never actually ate. That is that is lucky, the, dude. Yeah. So basically, throughout the day, we were working on these crazy events. Uh, One of the hardest ones, we showed up to a field and we had to use our compass and our little handheld GPS to solve a riddle. And I thought, foolishly, that because this was a media wave, that they would tailor it to us gentle media folk and not have us climbing and going through bushes. Um, And my GPS coordinate was pointed right toward a field of thorn bushes. (laughs) And I look at the guy who's running the station, and obviously he can't tell us what to do, and I'm like, is this... 
I mean, can we leave this beautiful little pasture? He's like, yes, you can. So I'm like crawling through this field of thorn bushes. What and were you wearing? Lines. Like, do you have a jacket they on? They provided or us with like this adventure shirt, okay. which is like a long sleeve shirt and just pants. Okay. But I was like, the thorns were like gripping my pants and tearing through the material, and I was bleeding. And eventually, I did find <laughs> the right. I did find the word, but it was quite the comic. To, I was falling down through these uh, holes, and uh, I fell into like a spider nest. Oh my God, Andre. It was quite the adventure. So that was one of the challenges. Another one, we had to change a tire. Okay. Guess who was good at changing tires on Land Rover uh, Defenders? You are, because you had some practice from our previous experience. Man, I, I changed this tire. So, I should like, say I. We as a team as changed a team. this tire so blisteringly fast. It was like some kind of world record. Well, because you knew exactly where the tools were, I knew right? where the jacking points yeah. were. All that stuff, like NASCAR team. Exactly. So... Uh, there were two challenges that were really notable, one of which was we had to um, winch the Defender up a hill backwards using nothing but straps, D-rings, and the high lift jack. And that was a real turd. Huh. That was a real difficult challenge. Wh what was like the anchoring point? The anchoring point was a tree. Okay. And it was about a 35, 40 degree hill. And we it was called two car lengths because you had to winch the vehicle up using a high lift jack to car lengths, which you can do. But it takes a long time, and when you're in a competition, you want to be pushing it. And one of the gentlemen working that station for Land Rover was a guy I was super excited to meet. His name was Jim. He was actually one of the contestants in the original Camel Trophy series. Mm, yeah. And I wanted to talk his ear off about, you know, what was your experience like? Talk to me about, you know, the challenges. Right. But I, first but of all, he was super strict. He was like... You guys need to be winching this thing faster. Come on. Put your back into it. Let's see what you got. So the whole time he was yelling at us to winch it faster. Okay. My, I mean, I was like zone four the whole time. Heart rate like 190. <laughs> falling over. We're all falling in the mud and slipping. And this Land Rover's moving a quarter of an inch uh, every 10 seconds. Yeah. It was brutal. It, I was so, we were all so, so sore, I think, for two days after that. So it sounds like this competition is... Very, very challenging, but also rewarding, right? It's fun. Right. Well, that was. Is that so fair? Fun. Yeah. The winching up the hill with a guy yelling at you was, was definitely. It was like boot camp at, at this. At I can this see point. why he was successful in the Camel Trophy because this guy was like in his 70s and he was hardcore. <laughs> and then the final challenge was a team thing. We had to um, winch a log up a, uh, an arch um, using two defenders from another. We, we partnered up with another team without uh, repositioning this wheel in the middle. But at the end of the day, we did make it back to um, the uh, basically base camp on time. Uh -huh. And it was pretty cool because when they were doing the award ceremony, it turns out we won by kind of a huge margin. So you beat Lindsey Vaughn and her dog. You beat Scott <laughs> Brady. Is that true? That's true. Yeah, we so came you, in first. You you beat all the other teams. That That is incredible, dude. Yeah, so Lindsey Vaughn's team came in second with 164 points, and we okay. came in first with 221 well, congratulations, dude. I, I cannot believe... Are you still sore? This um, has been a week. I, I, something's growing in my legs from those thorn bushes that have <laughs> penetrated deep into my ankles. But yeah, that wow. was a really cool trip. And so this was um, basically what they're doing is, is they're holding the same exact thing I did for dealers across the country. And there's 70 dealers participating. These are dealership uh, staff? Yeah, so they want, they want basically a manager of a dealer, um, a person from the sales department, and a person from the um, repair department. So they, they're trying to bring three people that don't typically yeah. work together in uh -huh. one. Um, 
and then that's, they, that's very interesting. Yeah, and then and then they compete against I think seven or eight other dealers, and then uh, there's going to be a final where like the top three face off in, in the same thing. And then it turns out if you bought a Camel Trophy Edition Defender, which they just launched, um, as a consumer you can take part in a similar contest. Um, for like the the limited edition right. number of defenders that they did, which is pretty cool. So it was a really uh, a once in a lifetime experience. It wasn't you know Camel Trophy in Nigeria, but it was still a very very yes. fun activity. Well, that sounds incredible. Uh, at least any video I think from this event would be valuable. Yep. I just want to see. Did you get any footage of the noodles? I, I got footage of everything. Okay. For sure. So there is a video coming, or depending on when you're listening to this, it may have come already. Um, but it, yeah, it was it was a cool kind of challenge, and it was definitely uh, a, a fun day. Um, and we were exhausted and filthy. And, and, and you gross. won. That's very rewarding. We too. won exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was very cool. Of course, we just won the media wave, not the entire thing. But um, maybe if we did well enough, they'll invite us back for the finals. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. Yep. And we won a Lego Defender, which we're going to yes. be giving away to a viewer. Yes. Um, Have we decided how to do this? No. So our social media gal SD is putting together a plan. So be sure to check out our social channels like Instagram, Twitter, that kind of thing, Facebook, and we'll have um, how you can win that. So this is a Lego set, like 11,000 piece Lego set, right? Like 11 million pieces. <laughs> it only took me 1,900 days to put together when I so, built mine. Because you had the one previously. Exactly. And okay. they're like 250 bucks too. They're really expensive. Yeah. So stay tuned to our social media like TFL Afro, TFL Car. Right, all those channels. Right. Uh, to to find out how to win this. Uh, also worth noting, the defender, no problems with it. It performed really well, and the off-roading that we had to do to get from event to event was nothing too crazy. It was like through some mud and up some hills, but it was like South Carolina hills, so not you know Colorado. But was it like wet mud? Yeah, or? it was. Yeah. yeah, there were some good good kind of muddy okay. areas where we had to you know use some momentum. Um, so the next thing I did, our, our next topic, Andre, is Porsche called me. Um, actually, they called my dad and said, hey, do you want to go off-roading in a Taycan? And my dad said, what in the heck? Because the Taycan is an electric sports car. Right. It's a sedan. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it, I mean, it's, it's a vehicle that's built to go super fast on the highway. It's a vehicle that's built to be incredibly uh, high-tech with its charging network and its charging abilities. And it's a Porsche, so it, you know, Canyon Roads well, is where it excels. it's a dollars car, right? Yes. Uh, and so, can I just interrupt you for a yeah, second? for sure. Uh, because I heard about this, and Roman was saying something like, well, yeah, Tommy is actually going on this really cool trip. He's going to go to Telluride and or Uray, Colorado, which is kind of in the southern uh, section of Colorado. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be off-roading with Porsche. And I immediately said, oh, yeah, I think Por- uh, Tommy must be in a Cayenne SUV. Exactly. Right. So but, what... <sighs> but you were not in a Cayenne. No. So, but this was a new... Uh, Cross Turismo uh, Taycan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, what they did with the Cross Turismo is they turned this beautiful sports car Porsche into a station wagon. And in the process, they lifted it an inch. They gave it a special gravel off-road mode. Um, and they, they kind of, you know, ruggedized it a little bit. And there's a picture of it behind you um, if you're watching. If you're listening, there's also a video on TFL Off-Road Channel which is like a full episode, like 28 minutes of this beautiful video that Tommy did. So if you want to see more of this uh, Porsche trip, you can also go there. 
But the the crazy thing, Andre, is that you you would never assume this to be an off roader, right? Because no, it still looks I, like a sports car. I still don't believe you did it. I know and, I was un, uh, unreal. It was pretty un- unbelievable. Okay, so tell me about this. So you were in the Taycan Cross Turismo wagon, which is a wagon. It's all-wheel drive. Is that fair to say? It's got an electric motor on the front and one in the back. Yes. So it's a new system, right? So it's there's obviously no traditional drive, right? No tra- um, tra- uh, traditional transmission, no low range. It's basically electric motors controlling your movement. Exactly right. Yeah. And um, there were two of us on this wave. I think there were three journalists total. Uh, my buddy Calvin put it all together. They were brand new Tycons. One was 105K. The other was 130 and all he did was put on a set of 19-inch wheels and Falcon Wild Peak off-road tires. And then he said, let's go off-road it. And the cool part about this, Andre, is he didn't pre-run it in these vehicles. He, he basically wanted to see for himself, working for Porsche, what the capability was like. And we certainly did. So that was quite interesting because when whenever a manufacturer sets something up like this, they either pre-run it or build their own course, right, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere else. So this was very unique, and I'm really glad you got to do this. And I also like that on the Cross Turismo, you have these little fender flares. So it almost looks like, you know, it makes the vehicle look a little bit more rugged. Yep. Uh, and so what happened? Like, so tell me, where, where did you guys meet? We met in Ure, Colorado. Okay. And then we woke up and we drove um, on the roads to a pass called Ophir Pass, which is, I think it's rated like a... Four out of ten on Onyx off-road. Um, yes. I mean, it's a real off-road trail. Um, someone in the comments could be like, oh, I took my Lamborghini up there one time. But for the <laughs> most part, all we were seeing the entire day were Wranglers and Forerunners and Wranglers and Forerunners and maybe a Land Cruiser and, and a lot of shocked faces. Because this trail basically has uh, an entire section made entirely out of shale, like... These pointy rocks. 8 to 12 inch pointy rocks, exactly. And we are tackling these in brand new $105,000 Tycons. And they pretty much rocked it. They really did surprisingly well. There's there's not a lot of clearance in the front for approach. When you max it all the way up with the air suspension, it goes to about 8 inches of ground clearance. But the torque was insane. Super easy to modulate going slow. The steering was good. The traction was really good. The, the traction control programming is excellent in the car. And, you know, we certainly scraped the front end here and there. But we did it. One big question I have. Oh, yes. Because we, we were facing this when, uh, remember, you and Roman uh, took a Model X off-road. This was near Boulder, Colorado, here near our headquarters. And we were really worried when you guys went there to puncture the battery mm-hmm. or do some damage to the battery because right. you're basically driving over pointy rocks. The battery is basically in the floor of the vehicle because it's in the chassis, which also makes it like low center of gravity, right? But how does Porsche deal with this? I, I mean, what kind of protection do you have for your battery there? It's a great question. So if you look underneath the Taycan, it is entirely shielded. It's one giant plate, essentially. And... I asked him about that. I said, you know, if you puncture battery, you're going to potentially start a fire and, you know, you could burn down an entire forest. But they were telling me that the underside of the car is extremely well protected because think about the situation where you're driving along on the highway 
and you're following a truck and like a wheel falls off, right? And you drive over a wheel right. or, or a hub else. assembly or some kind of, you know, mechanical. A piece of pipe. Exactly, something. right? Something, yeah. uh, And Porsche's designed that to run into road debris at high speed without puncturing the battery. So from a battery standpoint, I felt pretty confident that it wasn't going to get punctured because we were going so slow. And even if we had, and we did, you know, scrape things underneath, uh, nothing bad happened. The issue, though, is like the front end has these radiators to cool the vehicle, mm -hmm. and those aren't shielded. So if you puncture a radiator, it's like a gas car. You're going to be done for the day. Well, yeah, you're going to be leaking uh, coolant, right? And right. basically, yes. that's, that's it. So that that is a bad, bad part of it. But um, from a battery standpoint, I think you're okay. And the cool thing, too, is in the max height of about 8 inches, some cars, when you jack them all the way up with air suspension, become really, really hard and firm. And yeah, like, because you're at the end of the spring, yeah, basically. You basically topped it out. Yeah. yeah, it feels like you're riding on you know, rocks. <laughs> the, the, the Porsche was surprisingly good, even in its, it's called lift height. It felt really compliant. You could only go 18, 19 miles an hour in that height, which was more than enough for what we needed. So the other question, too, I think people are going to be wondering is consumption-wise, going over off-road yes. passes. Yes, can you please give some indication of this? We started with like mid-90% state of charge. Okay. We drove 82 miles off-road. 82? Um, yeah. Okay, that's most, a lot. Mostly off-road, at least on gravel. Yes. And then certainly some trail running. And we pulled back into the hotel with 49% state of charge. Okay, but you were also climbing a rocky like mountain. mountains. Yes. Yeah, we were in the Rockies. So... And I think, if if I remember correctly, I was just watching your video, and you said that it was about, like, in the hardest sections when you were crossing the mountain, it was approximately about 1.2 miles per kilowatt hour. Is that fair to say? That's exactly right, which is pretty terrible for EVs, right? No, no, but but, but listen. So <laughs> we also did, uh, you, you and Roman took a Jeep Wrangler 4xe which is an electrified, it's a plug-in, it's not a fully electric vehicle, mm -hmm. it's a plug-in hybrid, and that one was using a ton of energy too. You know, massive amounts of energy because you're crawling slowly, the motors are trying to provide maximum torque, right? Uh, or modulate your torque at very slow speeds and you're climbing these you know, steep grades. So I think that's actually not a bad result, uh, would, I would say. It would be an off-road range of about uh, I don't know, like 160 well, how, miles. What's the usable battery capacity? 87 kilowatt hours, somewhere in that territory. Well, if you multiply it by 1.2, you're talking about about 100 miles off-road. It did get better but, throughout the day, though. So yeah. eventually we finished the day with about 2 kilo miles per kilowatt hour. Okay, that's great. So about 160 miles okay. of... Uh, realistic, you know, range when you're going off-road, which is pretty good because the EPA rates the car like 220. That's a very good result because uh, if you're driving 160 miles a day off-road, that's very tiring, you know, in any case. Yeah, that's pretty brutal. <laughs> so because you're so focused on what you're doing. Very true, Andre. So it was a fantastic day. The cars uh, didn't get banged up too much, certainly scratched a little bit underneath. The Falcon Wild Peaks were game-changer. I wouldn't want to do this on like 22-inch wheels, <laughs> but the 19s of the Falcons felt really good and just a fantastic thing to see people absolutely dumbfounded when you go buy their Wranglers in a <laughs> Porsche Or Porsche like car. Colorado ZR2 trucks or something like that, exactly, right? Exactly, Andre. Yeah. Exactly right. So those were my crazy fun adventures for the last couple of weeks. And let's move on to the news of the week, Andre, because there's some cool stuff going on, starting out with the Wrangler Willys Extreme Recon Package. What is this? 
Yeah, dude. So this was exciting when it came across uh, just a couple days ago. And so Extreme Recon Package uh, was announced actually a while back. Uh, this is basically a Jeep Wrangler on 35s. There's more to it, right? <laughs> because there's also gearing that they changed, of course, the suspension uh, adjustments. But it's basically uh, what people have been asking for for the last, I don't know, bazillion years, <laughs> uh, decades, uh, where basically it's a factory option from Jeep to have a Jeep Wrangler on 35-inch tall tires. But it was available only at that time on a Rubicon or a 392, a V8-powered Wrangler. This was very quite expensive, right? Because the, now you're talking about Jeeps in the, you know, 55, 65, 75 and above $1,000 range. So now this is more affordable, dude. That's, that's pretty awesome. I think it's a great deal, yes. Yeah, so is this going to be four-door only, Andre? How can you spec your willies? Um, I don't know, but what, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have every detail on, on this uh, memorized, but uh, what they showed was a green uh, unlimited four-door, uh, which is really, really great. Um, you also are getting a, about a 456 uh, rear axle ratio, and there's also an option for a 488 to one axle ratio, which gives you incredible crawling ability, about 100 to one crawl ratio. Which is great. Uh, but I don't remember all the pricing and or uh, configuration options for this. Well, happily for you, I pulled them up. So it's a $3,995 package. Sweet. Adds 35-inch BFG KO2 all-terrains, Okay. 17 by eight beadlock capable wheels, uh, and a reinforced swing gate. It's got the specifically tuned um, 1.5 inch lifted suspension and then 456 gears, all for that $39.95. So that'll bring the total price of this Wrangler to $40,930. You know what they're doing here, right? Mm. They're fighting against the Sasquatch. Yeah, exactly right. Absolutely, because Ford Bronco Sasquatch package offers a 35-inch tall tire. It offers a lot of these goodies as well. Uh, but do you get a locker? Do I, you? I don't think so. Because it's the wheelies, right? Right. So, like on a Sasquatch, you could you could spec it with the Bronco or with the lockers. You're right. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't think you can. On but this, this is more affordable than a Sasquatch package. I mean, a Sasquatch package uh, on the base Bronco could be as much as like seven thousand bucks or more. Right. So, so this is about four grand. So you can mix and match, hopefully. But I think a base Sasquatch, if you get no options, comes in like the mid thirties because it starts at twenty eight. Plus seven grand is like mid thirties, but I still think forty grand is a hell of a deal for what you get here. You yeah. know, if if you want those big tires and the increased clearance and um, the, just the cool look, you can get it straight out of the factory. You don't have to go to the aftermarket to do it, and you can be in under forty one grand. Production will kick off in December of twenty twenty one. Quick, quick question: um, You have a Wrangler? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so how, how's it doing? Can Can you give us a quick update the, uh, on this? The little Willies is killing it. So. <laughs> Uh, I did buy a, uh, quote, affordable Wrangler. It was a 2021, or it is a 2021 Wrangler Willy Sport. It's got an MSRP of about 33 grand, but it's got no power locks, no power mirrors, no power windows. Uh, Very simple, soft top. seats, yeah, tiny screen. But I, it's all I could afford, and it's fantastic because it's got the Willys package. So it's got the offered tires, the beer limited slip, the rock rails, the special suspension, 
and it's exactly what I needed to do off road. It's pretty good on road, and, and it's I've, a two door. Yeah, I have no no uh, no plans to modify it either because it just goes everywhere you point it. I was going to ask you if you're going to put the extreme recon package on top of it. <laughs> well, I, I wanted the two door, <laughs> so I'm not sure that's going to be an option, unfortunately. Yeah. So moving on, Andre, we've got some cool news coming out of Honda. Something yeah. called the Honda Passport Trail Sport was just revealed, yes. and Honda is starting to go after the off road world with a all-wheel drive crossover kind of targeted at like the Subaru Wilderness series. Absolutely. And you and Roman had a personal uh, walk around that you guys did, the top 10. I really enjoyed watching it uh, because I was really wondering what will be the trail sport line of vehicles for Honda because it's also supposed to be not just a passport, right? Did they mention any future plans where they can extend this package, this kind of off-road capable package uh, to other vehicles? It's like you've read my mind. What? Uh-huh. So what they did with the Trailsport, Andre, is to be honest, not much. It's got some uh, some special stitching and some nice badges and um, it does look, you know, a little bit tougher. What about tires? Uh, are you getting cool uh, Frody tires? Sort of. I th- you can you can you can get you know the Trail Sport with these tires that look off roady, uh-huh. but don't offer um, much more kind of capability. And then of course you can get like the HBD accessories, the Honda Performance Development accessories, right. if you want to make it you know look a little cooler. Um, but Tommy, I, I, in your video, I clearly saw either orange or red toe points and toe hooks. <laughs> yeah. Is good, that good is that, memory? Is that part of it? So when I went to see it, Honda had the Trail Sport uh, fitted out with some additional accessories, which um, they're they're kind of hinting at. Or it's going to point to the future of the name. So this one had like a little lift on it. It had a bash plate underneath. It had the orange tow hooks. Yes. It had the spare tire on the back. What about like the dual exhaust? That was the factory. Yeah, those are factory. Uh So like the dual exhaust are factory, the cool front end is factory, but the lift, the suspension, the uh, skid plate, the off-road tires they had on that one, they're they're kind of hinting at what's to come is what they were making it sound like. So uh, currently the trail sport is mostly badging and some some colors. But this is going to be a stay tuned moment because in theory, Honda's got some cool stuff down the pipeline. Well, I'm hoping I'm hoping they bring all of those accessories you mentioned either as accessories uh, and aftermarket parts you can get at the dealer, hopefully with warranty, right, and all that stuff, or build it into this trail sports package down down the line because I think especially, you know, me being a trucky guy, I would really want to see a ridgeline, you know, with a small lift, you know, more aggressive tires, um, a little bit more of a, a, you know, aggressive off-road camping style. So I would welcome all of that. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, Honda's got such a uh, extensive background in the power sport world from motorcycles to ATVs to side by side, but that's never really translated to their car side of the, the, the world there. So, I mean, maybe it's finally starting to make the shift because like Toyota, big off-road world. TRD Pro. Yeah. They've got the whole side of the whole division. Uh, Nissan historically has had a lot of off-roading. And now uh, another piece of news actually came out, if I may. If I may. Yeah. Nismo off-road parts are mm, coming out. That's pretty cool. Um, this is kind of in the truck world because it's related to the new, new, new Nissan Frontier. But yeah, you're right. You know, Toyota even has like a RAV4 TRD off-road edition, right? Which is a little bit more aggressive, you know, bigger, more aggressive tire or a little bit more all-terrain worthy tire and some other adjustments with the suspension. So I think this is a trend. 
huge trend. It very well could be. be. Because, you know, you see the wilderness line from Subaru. Now you have the trail sport line from Honda and, you know, TRD lines from Toyota and others. So I think uh, we're seeing more and more kind of adventurous and off-road ready packages uh, coming from manufacturers. I think you're exactly right, Andre. It, it's definitely going in that direction, which is cool to see. So next up on the news, Mike Manley of former FCA uh, stardom has stepped down. Can you explain what's going on? Well, wow. So you may know, we, we actually interviewed Mike Manley. Uh, Roman had a, at least one interview with him in the past. He was the CEO of FCA, Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, right? Uh, but then recently, what almost a year ago now, they have merged with PSA, with, which is Peugeot, uh, you know, basically collection of brands. And now it's called Stellantis. <laughs> so we're getting used to all these names. Uh, but unfortunately, during this uh, merger, Mike Manley in, in, was not really public. Right, he he wasn't quite around. Uh, we were focusing on all the other vehicles, and now we just learned recently that Mike Manley is leaving the company, and he's actually going to be getting uh, his next job is actually with AutoNation dealership network. Right. Um, so, but that yeah, so it's kind of industry news. Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see what he does uh, with his dealership network, uh, leading that uh, charge, which is a huge actually network. Huge, uh, lots of revenue. So Manley was the CEO of Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, and he took over from Sergio Marchionne after he passed away in 2018. Yeah, unfortunately. But before that, he was the head of the Jeep brand, and he um, was a big cheese within the industry and within that company for a long time. He was with uh, Chrysler for two decades. He's, he was there for a long yeah. time. But I think it's, it's a sign of the time. So this merger, right... Um, has led to the PSA group, the French, yes. kind of coming in and, and um, saying, you know, we're we're the big cheese now in a lot of ways. Yes. So um, I think that there's going to be some potentially rocky waters ahead for the iconic American brand. Um, I'm, I'm curious I, to see what that'll mean in terms of new products. If the French will understand trucks and off-road, which Jeep and Ram have done such a good job of developing for the last couple of decades, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, so obviously we don't know what happened behind closed doors, you know, in a lot of these executive meetings. Yeah. Um, so we don't know, but you know what what we can say is we can just judge what's happening, you know, with the actual trucks and SUVs and cars that they're building, and you know, Ram just recently had a, a quality award that they received, so they were very proud of their you know improvements and what they've done with their quality for Ram trucks, mm. and Jeep is doing well still. You know quite well. Of course, the industry is going through this, you know, shortage, difficult uh, time with different shortages in components and chips and other parts. So it'll be, you know, the next year will tell. I think a lot uh, what happens. Yeah, it's definitely a uh, turning point in that con company's history. And Andre, what is the news surrounding the Bronco Raptor? Well, so Ford confirmed. Uh, they put out a little clip, a little teaser, and they basically confirmed the Raptor name for the most off-road worthy Bronco. So this was rumored for many, many months. We at TFL actually saw, saw it coming a long ways away because, uh, for example, Roman captured one of the prototypes of this Bronco testing in the mountains. 
uh, our editor and managing editor Zach um, actually saw this coming months ago <laughs> because everybody was referring to it as a warthog, mm. which was you know this kind of kind of more wide body Bronco with what looks appears to be larger tires. But then um, the Warthog name didn't make sense. You know, they have so many new names now at Ford with, you know, their Sasquatch package and Timberline edition vehicles and, and FX4 and Tremor edition trucks. So the Raptor name is their most off-road worthy name from F-150 and Ranger. So now they're using it on the Bronco. We don't know a lot of detail about this. Uh, we think it's going to have a Fox uh, potentially active suspension. That's a rumor. But they showed the face of it. They showed the grill. It has the Raptor signature amber lights. So that's kind of what's happening there. What, what do you think? I think it'll probably have 37-inch tall tires just to outdo the top dog Sasquatch right now. We and, don't know. And the Jeep. We don't know a lot about and the Jeep. We don't know a lot about the overall design. Perhaps wider fender flares. Maybe it'll get a bigger engine. So the current Bronco is available with a 2.3 turbo four and the 2.7 twin turbo six. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going to be the engine in the Raptor? Well, will they be able to shoehorn a three and a half liter twin turbo V6 in there? Maybe. 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 But another thing, and this is my. Uh, speculation. Uh, let me just, you know, go a little bit off track and just uh, tell you guys what I'm thinking. I I would like to see, and maybe Ford is going this way, is some sort of a hybrid, high performance hybrid, because they do have um, the hybrid technology now in the Ford Explorer. They have it now in the F-150, right? So they they know how to do this. So um, and it's related to their 10-speed automatic, so they can put an electric motor between the engine and the transmission, right? And maybe they could hybridize the 2.7. Hmm. You know, you see what I'm saying? So they make they can make it more powerful at the same time, maybe a little bit more efficient, um, and and or shoehorn the three and a half liter V6 in there. Uh, what do you think about my theory? I think it's a cool theory. I don't know if we'll see the hybrid on the Raptor because there's a rumored plug-in hybrid coming, although the plug-in hybrid could be the Raptor. Uh, the other possibility too, Andre, is that it could have the three liter EcoBoost V6 that they use in Lincolns. Yes. So it'd be a little bit bigger than the 27 that's currently in the vehicle. So currently the max power is 330 horsepower, 415 torque. Yeah. The three liter could maybe bump that up a little bit. But the other option, and what do you think of this? Coyote V8, could there be a V8 in this one? Oof. I doubt it. Okay. I mean, that's my personal take. Um, it, it could very well happen that the Bronco gets a V8 because all the enthusiasts you guys um, also have been telling us, you know, that the V8 Bronco would be super cool. But I don't know if that's where the industry is going, you know, with higher displacement. Uh, because uh, here's a couple things. We, we own a Bronco first edition, right? Um, so we found out. And I was a little surprised that the Bronco with the 2.7 liter V6 is not that quick. Hmm. You know, uh, on paper, it sounds quick. You know, 330 horsepower on premium fuel, monstrous torque, you know, 415 pound feet of torque. Um, but it's a little bit heavy and it's got giant tires, the 35s. So if they put them on 37s for the Raptor version, then they need more power and more torque, but without the expense of the fuel. Right, I think they need to be mindful a little bit of this too, because the Bronco is already not a super efficient um, vehicle as it is. Keep in mind, part of the issue could be that we're at altitude or elevation, I should say. 
True, which true. could but have an impact on the the performance that we're seeing out of it. It's not slow, but it certainly it's see, not. It's not. Well, it won't set you back. You know, well, you see twin turbo V six, and you expect it to be a rocket ship, but it still is a five thousand pound vehicle on thirty five inch tall tires. Yeah. Well, that is the big news of the week, Andre. A couple other little things. There's a new Acura MDX facelift going on, uh, some other smaller things. But we'll be sure to check back next week and talk about the latest and greatest in the auto industry. And that brings me to our third topic of the day. What? And this is a topic everybody has been asking for. What is going on with the Russian van? Really? Mm-hmm. People want to know. Everybody wants to know. <laughs> okay, so if you don't know this, um, I recently purchased and imported from Russia uh, a um, abuhanka. Abuhanka is a Russian nickname, which means a bread, a loaf of bread, and it's a UAZ 452. It's a it's a four wheel drive van, and it's handsome as heck. You know, <laughs> that's one of the things that attracted me to it. The other thing, of course, was its military roots. It used to be kind of a military utility vehicle. And it's four-wheel drive with low range. It's got great clearance. It's got great space inside. It's kind of a mid-engine, kind of like an older Ford Econoline vans and, and such, where the engine is between the driver and the front passenger. Uh, and it's still happy. But what's not so happy, Tommy, is that... I'm trying to register it in Colorado. Okay. So so the truck starts and drives. Uh, I've taken it very short distances to Cars and Coffee, and I've met a lot of people locally here which are very excited uh, by it. But um, I, I went to the DMV a few days ago, and, and they gave me a whole list of things to do. A list? Yeah, a list. Oh. So first of all, it's an imported vehicle, right? Nobody knows what it is. So the DMV person... Uh, when they saw UAZ, they said, what is that? And I said, that's the manufacturer. And then they said, what is that? So the, uh, not many people know what the UAZ uh, manufacturer of vehicles is, uh, but they're qu- actually quite big in Europe and uh, in Russia, of course, and also in like Mongolia and some other Asian countries. Um, so I'm getting, I'm slowly working down the list. I have all the oh. paperwork, uh, but the emissions test might be my uh, downfall. Downfall. Yeah. So when you say you have to, so you have to find the original value of the vehicle. Yes. So this was a big, huge stumbling block. Another <laughs> stumbling block because I, I go there and I show them the bill of sale, uh-huh. right? And I say, here, I paid about thirty five hundred dollars for it, and then of course I shipped it. I spent a lot of money shipping for it, but the value of the vehicle is about thirty five hundred dollars. And they said, no. The value that we need is the value, original value when the vehicle was brand new. And I was like, well, why? <laughs> and they said, no, that's what we require. So I, I, I looked, and here's a, one of the issues. In late 91, the Soviet Union um, fell, fell, Okay. right, uh, dissolved. And R- Russia became you know, independent and all the other republics became independent. And there was a huge kind of turmoil, right? There was a lot of inflation. And these vehicles, these UAZ vans were not publicly available. They were mostly government vehicles. And they started to go on sale and export after that. So there is no record of the price. <laughs> so the only way to do it is like find a 1992 exported UAZ for example, like to Mongolia or Kazakhstan, convert the value from there to Russian and then to, to dollar. And dude, the, as far as I can tell, the value was about 500 bucks. What? 
In 92. Uh, US bucks? Yes. Oh my gosh. So it appreciated. It's an investment. I mean, I'm just thinking from like a, a just the most basic fundamental standpoint. How do you plug in the model into the database? You're going to be like, okay, it's an R and then an upside down U <laughs> and then a backwards R and then a sideways I. No. Like, what's, what's the making model? Is there a... So um, it's a UAZ. It's an acronym. It, it stands for Ulyanovsky Automobilny Zavod. Yeah, the, the DMV is not going to get that, Andre. <laughs> I can guarantee it. Yep. So UAZ is a simple way of doing it. It's just in English, UAZ. And then the model name is a 452. The model, uh, the model is 3741. So <laughs> wait, that, wait, there's two models. Is it 452? 30? No, 452 is like the name of it. Okay. And then the sub model is 3741. Okay. So it's it's kind of a passenger crew van basically. There's so there's room for four, but also a cargo area. Were you able to get insurance for this thing? Yes. Oh. Yes, so actually Haggerty was able to help me, and they said it wasn't in the database, but they added me. So I was, I think I was the first uh, customer to insure UAZ. With Haggerty? Yeah, so, or the van. So when we took it off-road um, a few weeks ago with the Japanese oh. vans, oh. you ran into some issues going up the mountain. Did you ever figure out what the problem was? Yes, yeah, so the issue, first of all, it was a very hot day. It was about 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and I was. it was started kind of like... Um, just kind of bogging down and slowing down. And it wasn't a power issue. It was. It seemed like a fuel delivery issue. Hmm. So I think what turned out happening was, first of all, I, I didn't have as much fuel as I thought I did in my tanks. It has saddle tanks, two, uh, two tanks, one on each side. And the other issue that happened was I later discovered, a couple days later, that one of my fuel lines was leaking. And this was, um, hmm. it sounds really scary, but actually, luckily enough, it was a fuel line. Most of them are actually um, hard lines, but this uh, rubber line that was leaking was um, actually by the f uh, frame rail in the open next to the fuel filter. So it wasn't leaking on top of like a hot part, which would be really dangerous. Crazy. Uh, but I replaced the line immediately and filled it up with fuel and it's running beautifully. So I want to go another, I want to do another off-road um, tri trip. You want to do a, like a like a redemption round? Is that yeah, what I'm hearing? Yeah, no, because I, I tried to get to the trail, I couldn't. Now it's my chance to actually do it. All right, I think we could arrange that. So the guy Larry, who we did the trip with, has all these interesting K vehicles. Yeah. And he has something called a Pajero Mini, which he just got in. I, I noticed, yeah, I saw the email. Um, basically, these Japanese older vehicles, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I want, what I really want there is uh, Nathan, who has a Montero, which is basically a Pajero, the giant one, yeah. compare it to the mini one. That, that'll be kind of fun. I think that'd be a great video. So uh, we're going to set that up where we've got little baby Pajero versus giant Pajero, and we'll see which is better off-road. And, and also for the Buhanka update, I was also talking to Mr. Truck. Uh, Ken Sunling, and he has, uh, you know, that Wrangler that he's been building up. Oh, yeah. The little, um, what is it, TJ? I think it's a YJ. Uh, uh, the y red one? Yeah, a YJ. Yeah, yeah, the red one. And he wants to challenge me. Uh, he wants to bring the Jeep versus my Buhanka. Really? So, so maybe that we could do that. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. What has he been up to? I haven't seen Kent in a while. So Kent, uh, yeah, well, I haven't seen him either much, but uh, because, of course, we don't have a, as many trucks to review and tow with, unfortunately, until, you know, just a little bit in the future. 
Uh, he's recently been at the State Fair of Texas. He's brought a lot of different news videos from there rela related to the new TRX Ignition truck, the new Tundra. And we also have a lot of actually Ford Maverick uh, coverage coming up on TFL truck and also uh, new Tundra actually first drive reviews coming very, very soon. Interesting. Very interesting. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast of TFL Talk. Uh, be sure to stay tuned because we've got another episode um, with the truck side of it coming soon. Yes, uh, for a few bucks less. We just launched it just, uh, well, maybe a day ago if you're listening to it uh, brand new. And a few bucks less is where we bought three vehicles, three little trucks, Tommy, Nathan, and I for $2,500, or we tried at least. Oh, yeah. And they're quite challenging and kind of a little bit, you know, worn out vehicles. Very uh, much so. Yep. So stay tuned for that series. It's a five-part series, five episodes. This is, you know, a, we, we worked really hard on this. So hopefully you will enjoy. Exactly. Yeah. So I think this is a really cool series. We have a Grand Cherokee, a Blazer, and a Fake Ranger. And um, the three of us hit some cool trails, but the first video is basically just what we bought and why, and we do a drag race. It's pretty cool stuff, and I think you'll enjoy it a lot. Yes, so stay tuned for that as well. And thank you so much for listening. We will see you guys on the flip. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.